This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to an unscheduled edition of Romaniacs, an EU election special. I'm Dorian Linsky. This special podcast is a bit like a conventional hustings, uh, but not entirely so. It's Romaniacs, so we doubt you'd be interested in hearing from candidates from the Brexit Party, the Conservative Party, UKIP or the Bring Back King Arthur Knights Templar Alliance. Instead, we have a mix of candidates and representatives from the key Remain parties, the Greens, the Liberal Democrats, Change UK and the Labour Party. It's a small studio, so unfortunately we had to make the decision to go only with parties who are standing nationally. So no disrespect to the SNP or Plaid Cymru, who both have their own anti-Brexit platforms, but sadly, there's no way around it. We hope you understand, and we will address the Scottish and Welsh parties in the next regular podcast, which hopefully will go out the day before polling day. Today's guests are going to get a chance to explain to Remainers why you should vote for them or their party. I'll talk to each of our guests one-to-one, and then we'll have a group discussion around Brexit, because we suspect the candidates might have a bit more in common than you might expect. First, let's say hello to our guests in strictly objective, alphabetical order of their parties. Jan Rostowski, standing as an MEP for Change UK in the London region. He's number two on the change list. Jan is Poland's former Christian Democrat Minister of Finance and Deputy Prime Minister. He was born and raised in the UK, but moved to his parents' homeland in the late 80s to help Poland make the transition from communism. He's a former member of the British Conservative Party, and he says he joined Change UK because Brexit is a fulcrum point in European history. It's bad for Britain, and it could also be very bad for Europe. Hi, Jan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So we know, we've discussed this on the podcast once or twice, why Brexit will be bad for Britain. Why do you think it's bad for the rest of Europe? Well, fairly obviously, um, it undermines cohesion. It encourage. It seemed to encourage the possibility of a Frexit and a Nexit and a Dexit and a Spexit. Um, <laughs> Was there a pegs- and, pegsit on the table? Uh, polexit. 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 Okay. <laughs> I'll come back to that maybe right. uh, towards the end once we've discussed... <laughs> British politics, which is what we're here for. Um, But fortunately, the effect's been the opposite. I mean, you know, the way in which Brexit is so obviously collapsing under its own weight, under the weight of its own internal contradictions, as uh, maybe our friend from Momentum might say, um, (laughs) is is something that, that clearly is just terrified or at least put off at the very least, uh, people everywhere else. And um, you, you now find the nationalist and populist parties in Europe uh, scrabbling to explain why they're no longer in favour of exiting the European Union. And I just heard somebody from 
the National Front, or as it now it's changed its name to hide its nasty nature, the National Front in France, explaining, well, the reason we no longer want to leave Europe is because we've got this national wave and we'll take over Europe. Yeah, okay, come on. Mm. So, um, but nevertheless, the fact remains that also the balance between the biggest members is going to be somewhat yeah. upset. And you never know with these things, you know. Um, and apart from that, of course, let's not fool ourselves, Europe, the relationship between Britain and Europe, if Brexit happens, is not going to be the same. It cannot be the same. It will unfortunately not be the same. You cannot, in the way the Brexiteers play it, is we'll have all the advantages of sovereignty, but and, but none of the, we all know this, none of the disadvantages and among the other advantages we're going to keep is wonderful relationships after having turned our backs on them, after we managed to negotiate the very best deal of any country in Europe, I and mean, Britain had the very, or has the very yeah. best deal of any country in the European Union, we walk away from that and we expect them not to be slightly upset. I think they so, might be aggrieved. A, just a tiny, it would mm-hmm. be natural. So, so that's why it's bad for Europe. Thanks, Jan. Also joining us is Amelia Womack, Deputy Leader of the Green Party in England and Wales and the youngest Deputy Leader of a British political party. She's not standing as an MEP this time, but she did in 2014. She's also stood in national parliamentary elections and by-elections. She works across a spread of issues, but especially women's rights, flooding, climate change and community resilience. Hi, Amelia. Welcome. Thank you. Um, the Greens famously broke through in the 1989 European elections. Um, now this is a kind of the, the era of extinction rebellion and, and climate change is, is, is on the agenda in a way that it hasn't been for a while. Are you detecting a similar connection between green politics and, and European politics that, that people are feeling that, that the two go together? Well, I think that a lot of people are frustrated that while we've been talking about Brexit, the key issues that we need to address haven't been on the agenda. And during that time, we've had two UN reports, one of them saying that we've just got 11 years to make sure that we mitigate against the worst effects of climate change. And the other saying that as a result of human activity, over a million species are going to be lost. And fundamentally, the fact that we've been ignoring this means that that policy isn't being put in place. But to be honest, international, the only way we're going to tackle these issues is internationally. And if we want to make sure that we mitigate against 1.5 degrees of warming in 11 years, we need policy in place in the next 11 months. So these elections are a really clear way to make sure that we've got more Greens elected going into the European Parliament, working internationally to, to tackle these key issues. But beyond the, the climate issues and the environmental issues, People realise that we have been tackling inequality, that our track track record in the European Parliament has been um, making sure that we're tackling tax evasion, challenging tax loopholes, um, as well as working on key issues, addressing inequality, as well as protecting the environment. So I think that the more opportunity we've had to to prove our track record, tell people what we've achieved, the more they agree with with the fundamental um, policies that we've been working on over the years. Thanks, Amelia. Laura Parker is candidate number four on Labour's list for the London region. She's national coordinator of the grassroots organisation Momentum and Jeremy Corbyn's former political secretary. She's been a key figure in Momentum's drive to give Labour members a stronger say in the party's direction, and she's a frequent contributor to The Guardian. Her Twitter handle is Parker... Chicone. Chicone. 
I've never used Madonna's surname. See. But it's not a Madonna <laughs> reference. Her husband is Italian. Hi, Laura. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, and my husband, I'm really hopeless at IT, which is funny because obviously Momentum's incredibly adept. But I got my husband mistakenly to do my email address. And then my Twitter handle kind of fell out of it. And because uh, right. it would have, I would have been Laura Parker... One seven four three nine two six. <laughs> he made me Parker Chicani, and now I'm kind of stuck with it. <laughs> um, you and Eloise Todd, uh, who's also standing for Labour, have been keen to connect fighting the the populist right in Europe with dealing with the with the climate change emergency. Um, and there's there's a lot of different kind of issues in the Labour manifesto. Is it is a European election um, best fought on whether or not we stay in Europe rather than? than sort of having so many other messages in there. Well, this is an election about who we send to the European Parliament. So although inevitably it's become an election about Brexit, which I completely understand, and we're all obviously here because we're both fascinated by and have passionate views about Brexit, the truth is that what we're doing on the 23rd of May is deciding who we're sending to the European Parliament. The great irony for me about the debate that we're actually having, and, and I understand why why we've got here, is that all of the sort of so-called Remain parties are turning this into a protest about Brexit and we're taking the eye off the ball about the politics that we're then going to have to champion and the people we're going to have to send to the European Parliament to defend those policies. And, of course, if the anti-Brexit camp wins out, um, we'll be in that Parliament for five years. So we do have to actually make it about the European Parliament, sending really good, qualified people like Eloise Todd, like Seb Dance, who was one of my running mates in London, like Claude, who's a brilliantly you know, well-respected MP, MEP at the moment. Uh, we've got to have people with really strong manifestos. We've got to know where they stand on all the major issues. I mean, there's at least one party in this election. I don't think we know which group it's going to be in in the European Parliament. Uh, we need people who can join the dots between domestic policies in the UK and the policies they're going to champion in Europe. So I get that it's become about Brexit, but actually that's the backdrop I suppose people think that, that of course, if we do leave the European Union, it's sort of the MEPs are only going to be in, in place for a few months. So it's not, I suppose they're thinking, well, let's, let's fix this. This is the priority because without that, what the MEPs do is, becomes irrelevant. But that's why, it, but we may not. I mean, if again, the anti-Brexit camp prevails and we have a confirmatory vote or a public vote and if as I imagine everyone in this room hopes we decide that the current deal we've got is the best deal and we stay the people that we elect on the 23rd of May will be in that parliament for five years so it's really important and the other thing is if we are leaving then for however long any of us might be in that parliament for we've got to make the most of it so we've got to be making the links and the connections and the, building the political alliances that will then help us in whatever comes post-Brexit, and obviously I agree with everything that you said, Jan, about why it's a bad idea. So it's a temptation to turn this into a proxy referendum, but it's not. Finally, our representative from the Liberal Democrats there is Dinesh Demija, British Indian businessman, co-founder of the online travel site eBookers and the party deputy treasurer. He's second on the Lib Dems list for London. Dinesh was born in Australia, grew up across India and Europe. He founded the business that eventually became eBookers in 1980, selling travel tickets in a kiosk in Earl's Court Tube. When he sold it in 2005, it made him one of the wealthiest Asian residents in Britain. Hello, Dinesh. Um, would you like to buy a podcast company? <laughs> Depends on the price. <laughs> you get to talk more. Um, no, it's, it's, it's really striking how quiet the sort of voice of, uh, of business has been in this election campaign and, and at certain points over, over the last three years. Is, is it that a lot of business people are, are sort of staying quiet strategically or that they are speaking out but maybe not 
getting enough coverage? I think both. Uh, mm. all, the, all the newspapers are owned by Brexiteers. Sky is uh, also owned by Brexiteer. I, I just feel that the BBC, which used to be pretty centre, has gone to the right too. So whenever someone says something uh, which uh, is, detracts away from the Brexit vote, they're just shut up. So uh, I, I just think that uh, business loses a lot with Brexit. And business, as you know, pays 70 to 80% of all taxes through PAYE and corporation taxes. Now, I'm talking about SMEs. I'm not talking about the mm. FTSE 100. And uh, that pays for services like roads, the police, the NHS, and everything else. And if we're going to lose a lot of jobs, which we will, to Europe, we will then be losing that money that the Treasury gets. And thus, our services are going to be far worse than they are now. So I'm going to ask the same the four questions uh, of everybody. And I mean, in, in this sort of section, I think basically, every, you know, each individual should be just allowed to to speak without any kind of follow-ups from the other other candidates. Um, and we'll do them again in alphabetical order. Start with uh, Jan. How much of a Remainer are you um, Are you personally? Is there, are you, are you kind of like, a, are you like a hard revoke? Uh, or are there, um, are there other options, potential compromises that you could swallow? I'm, I'm an absolutely hard as adamant Remainer. Uh, however, I do accept that we have to either before revocation or after revocation if revocation is forced on us through the imminent um, implementation of a no-deal Brexit, right? If we are just about to tip over the edge, then I would be in favour of, of revoking before that happens. But there has to be um, an, a democratic... Um, uh, I'm looking for the right word. Sanctification is mm. not the right word. but Settlement, maybe. Well, no, no, neither. Right. But a, a democratic um, blessing on that, right? And, uh, and that requires a referendum, obviously, preferably before the, before the revocation of Article 50, um, obviously, because that's a more, I mean, that is better to have an ordered approach to all this, right? Um, and then you have your referendum and then, assuming Remain wins, which I think it definitely will, I'm more and more convinced of that, um, then, then, of course, you revoke. But the only, you know, the situation which you might have to revoke before the referendum would be if, 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 if time were running out, if this abominable set way that it's been set up by, uh, by Theresa May, that it were basically in a, you know, in a, in a, in a train that's rushing at, hundreds of miles an hour towards a, towards a brick wall or off the edge of a cliff. If we were in that situation, then obviously one would have to find a way of, of, of diverting the train. But then even then you'd have to uh, confirm it, uh, find some way of, of finding the democratic legitimacy. That's the word. Because there is an to. argument that, that as a sort of young insurgent party, that, that, that change, uh, it's obviously pushing the people's vote, but so are, so are other, other parties. Um, and as because your brand, you know, and a large part of the reason why the, the party exists is, is anti-Brexit, um, why not just sort of go for broke and take that, the, the hardest revoke position? Do, do you feel like kind of, with the people's well, there has, vote, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of parties fighting over that people's vote round. Yes. Do you, think it's, it, do you think it is for you, therefore, not a strategic, even though that might be strategically interesting 
you do believe that there has to be this democratic legitimacy? Well, at some stage, you know, if it has to be done afterwards, um, I can imagine a situation, as I said, where you would actually have to revoke first and then and then and then test it. Um, I can. I also think that there are. Um, certain situations in which, I mean, I think we can now start saying that we obviously can see that the Brexiters have, or Brexiteers as they like to call themselves, have redefined Brexit um, as a no-deal Brexit. And that's something quite different from what was in the referendum. And I actually think that we should think seriously about the possibility of simply saying, well, since that's how they've defined it, maybe that's the referendum that we need. Remain versus no deal. That is obviously, I know, but, you know, the fact is Farage has taken that. He's running with that ball. Let's not kid ourselves about the politics of this. That's how he's defined it. And he he actually owns that ground. And it's going to be very hard to, um, to try and pretend that that isn't where the Brexit, Brexiteer hmm. flag is. Well, we're definitely going to talk about more about him later. Um, I've been reading all the manifestos, and there's a, there's a sort of a lot to like, I think, in, in all of them. So, uh, I mean, the obvious question is, is why should our listeners vote for change uh, as opposed to the other remain, remain options? There's obviously these areas of overlap. So, so what is the key difference that, that voting for you would make? Well, I think there's, you know, if we think about, you know, how did we get here? Well, we got here, and I know this is going to sound very much as, like a soundbite. Well, we got here because... Politics is broken, right? I've seen that. I've seen that. You've seen that somewhere. It's not exactly (laughs) original, but the fact is, it's like many cliches. They're cliches because it's true, (laughs) and people really felt disenfranchised. And what we really have to do is to find a way of making them enfranchised. And apart from being, I think, as you said yourself, the most anti-Brexit party and the hardest anti-Brexit party, and I have no, you know, I make no apologies for that. The other part of what we have to have to say is that we have to find ways of making politics not only less confrontational, which is, of course, something that the Liberals also want to do, but much more participatory, and at the same time, more evidence-based. And it's finding ways of doing that, and that's what we're committed to. Now, there are certain advantages of being new. You're starting off with mm. a clean slate. And that, and we're going to build that party, politi- uh, that program, <clears throat> that, that, that it doesn't find itself in a manifesto, but that whole, that set of, 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 of policies and what we want to offer actually by asking people and finding ways of evolving that over time by asking people as we're doing the politics. And it's got to be this new kind of politics. Now, on top of that, we've got some pretty attractive leaders. So I think both of those things are rather nice. I'm not going to take part. I mean, all I've said is nice, I hope, I'm absolutely determined not to. I mean, I don't think we should enter into, I certainly don't think we should enter into pointing out or suggesting that there are negative signs to what the other remain parties are offering. I don't I don't I don't want to go there. I think we have to present a united front and I think we have to be if anything we can at the most compete in the way in which we oppose Brexit 
and the shift to the to the to the well, I don't want to use the word extreme, but to the to the right that we're observing with the growth of the Brexit Party. <laughs> and it's certainly not my business intention to criticise other Remain parties well, well, in there, there any was, way. There was, a, there was a lot of excitement, I think, when the independent group formed. Um, and there's been a sort of a bit, a bit of a rocky road since in, in, in terms of some of the kind of, the, you know, the launch strategies and messaging. Parties currently polling around 4 to 6%. Um, and it seemed that when the independent group formed, that the strategy was going to be based on the fact that the Lib Dems had been uh, tarnished by coalition. I mean, that was that was obviously they had been, but that that was going to remain the case. And therefore, a lot of the people that might have gone to the Lib Dems would now be attracted to change. And after the local elections, that that doesn't seem to be the case. Of course, because the Lib Dems did very well in the local elections. And I'm actually very glad that they did because they're a Remain party. Um, we couldn't stand. We're too young. Mm. Uh, but on the other hand, um, it's it's an issue of widening, if you like, the, the offer, right? We reach the parts of the electorate, I'm deeply convinced that the other Remain parties don't reach. People who were in Labour and really can't stand this crypto-Brexit leadership that they have at the moment. And people who were conservatives and really can't bear the way that they're chasing after Farage, Nigel Farage. And people who are not in politics, were not committed to a particular party, but feel... Uh, but did vote in the referendum or people who didn't were too young to, ha to have the opportunity. And I think we can reach those people. I don't believe that we reduce the votes of the other Brexit, of the other Remain parties. And you can see that very clearly when we went, you know, when as, as we were gaining support, that didn't reduce the support of the Liberal Democrats or the Greens by a single, by a single percentage point. And that, in a sense, is our mission, to bring in new voters into the Remain cause. Let's move on to Amelia Womack, Deputy Leader of the Green Party in England and Wales. As, as, we, were, as we were saying, you know, the, the Lib Dems had a very... Well, the Lib Dems both had a very successful local election. Mm -hmm. um, but the Lib Dems, uh, you know, they, they're, they're polling higher at the moment. So if somebody just... If somebody doesn't have a particular attachment to a party and is just an ardent Remainer, um, similar question to Jan, you know, why the... Why the Greens, rather than just sort of maximising the, the success of, of, the, of currently the leading Remain party? This is a proportional system, so people have a chance to vote for what they believe in. And, and fundamentally, we've already got th three times the number of MEPs as the Liberal Democrats in the European Parliament, making us the strongest UK party, uh, Remain party, in the European Parliament at the moment. And I think that the, the reasons that people are attracted to the Green Party is because we are, um, we're, we've been challenging so many different issues and that broad range of ideas. And I think that that point that we were discussing earlier about this being beyond remain or leave, this is genuinely about the future of this country and why we're in the European Union. And I, I'm inspired so much by the work of our MEPs at the moment, standing up for things like freedom of move, movement and being consistent on that when other parties haven't been, as well as being really uh, being consistent on ensuring that we're standing up for our, our workers' rights, environmental rights um, and human rights and I think that that um, is, is so vitally important going forward. And what's your, your kind of personal beliefs, again, on this kind of like spectrum of Remainer 
um, from kind of soft to, I suppose, ultra is, is the latest term. <laughs> um, you know, where, where do you stand? What's your own personal? Vision? So I actually co-founded uh, the left-wing Remain campaign, uh, Another Europe is Possible, set up on those same principles of um, workers' rights, human rights, environmental protection. Because when I saw the Remain campaign, I saw a Europe that I wasn't the Europe that I believed in and that I was fighting for because I see a Europe that protects people and protects our environment and, rather than, uh, and supports the freedom of movement of people. And I didn't just see it as a place of the freedom of movement of money. And I think that the fact that Caroline Lucas, the day after the referendum, stood outside Parliament and called for... Uh, a verification referendum. She didn't call it a people's vote at the time, mm. but we've been consistent since day one on the need for that people's vote because, I mean, this was all on pipe dreams and now we've got the deal on the table. You, we've got a chance to vote on it. Nobody would ever sign a contract without reading the small print and now we have the small print available. It's only right that people have a final say on what they want to, what they want to achieve. And there's a green leaflet that I saw um, someone had tweeted today where it's sort of it had the other party, it had Labour, you know, won't stop Brexit. Lib Dems could be dangerous. And there was some sort of, there was a kind of backlash there. And I, there was a friend who was kind of thinking of going with the Greens, but wasn't sure about, about that. Is there a risk to these sort of um, remain on remain attacks? I think that people who want to vote for a Remain party will vote for a Remain party. But what there's a risk of is uh, forgetting the history of other parties. When, we're, when the Greens have been consistent on things like standing against austerity, standing up for freedom of movement, and let's, let's face it, there's been an increase in hatred in the UK, and it's down to all of our parties to make sure that we stand up for migrants and stand up for the rights of people who came to the UK, chose to live here. And I'm so, I just think it's um, that these fundamental differences are so essential to differentiate ourselves because that consistency um, on these vitally important issues is what you'll get when you vote for MEPs into the European Parliament. So I think that we um, need to be making sure that we we show that where those values on our sleeve of where we've uh, of, of where we've been on the right side of history consistently. Is it quite gratifying looking at the other manifestos to see that green issues are sort of play a big role in in all of them? I think it's a sign of the times and I'm so glad that people are waking up to these issues around climate change and environmental uh, destruction. But what we have is a clear vision of how we get out of this situation by making sure that we are promoting a Green New Deal. We've already been in the European Parliament reducing, uh, challenging um, our carbon emissions and trying to reduce those by 2030. We now want to make sure that we are at zero carbon at 2030. And it's the fact that we've already been in there, in the European Parliament, already making those changes that means that we can build on that success so I'm um, that roadmap that we have not just here in the UK but um, with the green groups across the whole of Europe we're actually um, we, our, our group itself is a, a group of green parties with some other parties um, built into it as well and that united force that international force has played so much power in making sure we have that legislation on air pollution on climate change on on banning single-use plastics on even uh making sure that we challenge diesel gates when people were misreporting their mm. their air pollution emissions and i think that that's um it's it's that strength that we have across the whole of europe that's meant that we've continued to build that that vision and speaking of which, finally, what's the sort of key policy area if 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 you are an MEP for for a while, which obviously you know we all we all hope that everybody here is going to be an MEP for a while. Um, 
What's the, the, the sort of policy area that you're looking to get your teeth into personally? So as Greens, we've always made sure that we are connecting social justice and environmental justice as well as economic justice. And for me, the Green New Deal is a vitally important, uh, vitally important policy to be pro promoting on an international basis, making sure that we're talking about how we alleviate people out of poverty, how we're talking about decent jobs, well-paid jobs, uh, as well as providing that roadmap. I feel like roadmap's a bit of a pun, but you know what I mean, um, of, um, of, of how we actually achieve reducing our carbon going uh, carbon uh, to carbon zero by 2030 which is making sure that we are uh, we have a vision for sustainable transport we have a vision on warm homes that are well insulated and even putting things in place like a frequent flyer levy because actually only 15% of people take 70% of flights in the UK are damaging uh, our planet and it's actually um, going to be the poorest people that will pay the worst so i think having that interconnected policy that works for people and the environment is is something that that we need to be prioritizing. Thanks, Maria. Laura, um, so let's start, yeah, again with the same with the same question, sort of on the remainometer. Speaking personally <laughs> rather than for your for your party. Well, look, I suppose there's two things I'd want to say. The first is how committed am I to Europe? I'm married to an Italian. I spent 17 years of my life living and working across uh, mainland Europe. Um I worked for the European Commission. I worked with the European Parliament. I spent 10 years of my life working with the most marginalised communities, the Roma community in Bulgaria and Romania, where I lived. I speak seven European languages. I can't be out European. What I do, <laughs> what I do completely reject, though, is the labelling of people, and I've done it myself and I've had to teach myself not to, of us becoming leavers and remainers. I believe people voted leave or they voted Remain, that does not define everything about their politics. I know lots of really decent people who voted Leave. Now, I think they made the wrong decision. I know some pretty f awful people with terrible politics who voted Remain. They happened to make the right decision on that day. But I really think if we are going to do, and I know it sounds glib, but actually one thing that Corbyn has been absolutely right about from day one is the need to try to bring the country back together. Now, people think that's an excuse and then you've got to take a side. And I myself have said we now need to take a side. But the truth is, if we are going to get Britain to a healthier place, we have to find a way. I mean, the truth is that most of us are united in what we want for our children, for our families, for our communities. I mean, I do believe it's the 99% and the 1%. So I, I, I think we need to move on from Remainers and Leavers. And I, and I reject as well, of course, the characterisation of most of our parties as, as being just one or the t'other. I mean, I think it would be a gross undersell for the Green Party if it became just defined as just a Green Party. And it would be a complete mischaracterisation of Labour to suggest that we were a Leave Party. Now, there is at least one party which has been born out of Brexit whose only policy is Brexit. So I think Not if they want to just policy. be a Remain party, Not that's, that's fine. That. But I think we've got to find a way of moving on from that. So then, you know, so then why vote, why vote Labour? because it's got a full policy platform. And because if you look at what the Labour Party has been saying and doing indeed in the UK, not just since Corbyn, but you know pre-Corbyn, there's a breadth and depth of policy which would attack the issues which led us to Brexit in the first place. Because people will say, well, we got Brexit because we had a bad campaign. I mean, I agree, it wasn't a great campaign. Politics is broken. I also, of course, agree with that. But really, why did we get to Brexit? Well, for 40 years, we completely mishandled our relationship with the EU and we adopted the wrong 
policies. And it's not just that politics is broken, bits of Britain are broken. And if we want to address the root causes, I'm sounding like a Blairite, which is hilarious for the woman from Momentum, but if we actually want to address the causes of Brexit, it's got to be about minimum wages and living wages and trade union rights and migrant rights and proper regulation of the housing sector and investment in public services. They're the reasons why people were angry. But the, the language of, of kind of being neither a Leaver or a Remainer party and wanting to bring the country together, I mean, I want to you think, well, great, you know, I don't want for the rest of my life to feel that there's this, mm. sort of, this fundamental divide in the country. But of course, it reads in, in, in the manifesto, and Mike Corbyn has spoken, as sort of cover for um, equivocation. And I, mean, I don't want to get into the whole kind of exactly what the, the, the conference policy means, because, you know, it's obvious that the, the, uh, the messaging is, is contradictory. And I'm sure you saw Peter Kellner's data this week, which shows that Labour's losing Remain and Leave voters and losing more Remain voters. Um, it re- surely this position hasn't worked. It reads, as, it, it reads that way if that's how you want to read it. A more nuanced, which is the great thing about this show, is that you can actually have a proper conversation. A more nuanced understanding is that is that the situation that we found ourselves in on the 21st of June, when I woke up as upset as everyone else in this room was complicated. Politics is complicated. It was a 52-48. Now, it's easy in a way to just to d- decide that you'll champion the 48. But the Labour Party is the largest opposition party. It has an, a constitutional obligation as the official party of opposition to engage in a discussion with the government of the day. Now, the talks have ended today. I think we've gathered just before mm. before we all met. I think the Labour Party approached those talks in good faith with a brilliant negotiating team. I mean, Keir Starmer, Becky Long-Bailey. Um, I think the Labour Party has put down, you know, it's put down three amendments, I think, about a confirmatory vote. It's 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 whipped on that. In, you know, it's done what it could in Parliament. But it's not working, is it? Well... It's losing voters on both, it, both it, camps. It is squeezed, and what I personally have said, and let's see now where we now are, because the talks literally finished this morning about an hour ago, I think, so none of us yet know what's going on. What I have said is, having accepted that you know the result was as it was uh, three years ago, having accepted that the process of negotiation should should start... And, of course, it would have finished by now, really, if May hadn't called an election, which she then lost. Because let's not forget that despite the brilliant efforts of the Remain campaign, what really happened to halt Brexit was that her majority shrank. I think we're now entering another phase. Now, my personal view, I've made it really clear, is that I think, actually, despite every best effort, it is not possible to deliver Brexit. Many of us, all of us, never wanted it in the first place. I think it's now got to go back to Parliament. The Labour Party's manifesto actually, despite what everyone in the media says about it, is really clear. It says in black and white, if the Tories are confident in their deal, they will bring it back to the people. I mean, it says it, not just in the manifesto. It's written by Corbyn on the front page of the manifesto. Now, I agree the messaging is complex and I agree some of it's been messy. And it's true that you can go and look at what people said X years ago. But the vast majority of Labour Party members voted Remain. The party campaigned for Remain and and everyone, Corbyn, MacDonald, Starmer, Thornbury, Tom Watson, the whole lot have made it clear that we will not back a bad deal. And I think we will now find that we go back into Parliament. The Tory deal may scrape through if it has a confirmatory vote attached to it. And then I 
confidently believe that the Labour Party will be back out campaigning for Remain and reform. Um, so uh, if you want to vote for the most patient candidate in the room, it's Dinesh Demija <laughs> of the Liberal Democrats standing in London. Um, so yeah, can you just briefly talk about just your personal sort of stance on on, on Europe and, and, and how passionately you were? And I don't know if you, you know, what, I, I'm afraid I don't know what you were um, if you were active in the in the 2016 campaign or just to talk about your We certainly was. I, I've lived in and worked in 13 countries in Europe. Uh, could out Brexit, out Europe you. I'll have to look up the rules, how this works. <laughs> languages versus countries. Seven languages, 13 countries. And, um, and uh, my, my parents were diplomats, so uh, that's how we lived there. And, of course, with e-bookers, I had many of, uh, offices in, in different countries. So uh, I know you're very, very well. As a businessman uh, that ran e-bookers, I was serving a market of 300 million people in 11 countries, while my competitors and friends were serving a market of 60 million here. Mm. And each quarter, each half year, when the results came out, my results were obviously far better. So I can't understand this government that they think that a market of 512 million people versus a market of 65 million people, and they think that the 65 is better. And of course, they'll say there are seven other billion people around the world. But did you know that trade is geography? We do more trade with Ireland than we do with all the BRIC countries combined. That's Brazil, Russia, India, and China. So tell me about the fact that you can trade with India. And let me give you an example just on India. India has been trying to do a trade deal with Europe for 13 years. Guess who stopped them doing this deal? The UK. Because of tariffs on Scotch whiskey and cars from India. And the Indians are waiting for the UK to come and try and negotiate a deal with them. So it's, it's not, yeah, I mean, please do understand yeah. that it's, it's a two-way street. You can't sort of say, okay, you're a colony of ours and we're friends, so uh, why don't we do a, do a deal? So can I just start with, um, uh, Jan, you mentioned the fact that uh, uh, Europe needs to give us an extension on the 31st of October. They've said so, that they'll give an extension if we have a second vote or if we have a general election. So that's not a, a problem as long as we, have to, we say that we're going to have a second vote. That's what they've said. Um, and talking about hardest of hard remains, I mean, it was mentioned that Caroline Lucas went out on the first day after the referendum. Well, so did our leader go out at the same time and, and mentioned it. So perhaps we're... We're together on that. I should mention David Lammy did as well, not the leader. Yes, but, yes. but he wasn't the leader. We, our, our, um, uh, yeah. we did as well. Now, the point is, Brexit has d different explanations. That does not mean, I mean, and, 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 the, and the Brexit group keeps changing them as well. But Remain also mm -hmm. has different uh, meanings. But I won't go into that. When change came out, Jan, our polling countrywide, went down to 5%. Mm. I saw it. And now, as of the YouGov poll yesterday, we're at 
So it did make a difference to us. Uh, for a short while. Well, well you know, you've been very, you've been in existence for a short while. So you were you <laughs> the even 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 yeah. within that short. So you're, well, you're the party. While. You you are the party in, with with the sort of the small M momentum coming out of the, very. the local local. Excuse elections. me. <laughs> <laughs> Trade description. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so what was your pitch? Is as in you know there are the three there are three of the manifestos here, which mentioned people's vote, mentioned freedom of movement. I'm sure there's other kind of phrases that recur. Mm. Um, why why the Lib Dems apart from the fact that at the moment you were that you were sort of polling the strongest? Well, I think that we've got 460 um, constituency organisations across the country. We have a huge number of activists, and uh, um, and it's been three or four years of really hard work. Of course, you couldn't see the results, but uh, it, it, they came out uh, we, when we won 704 council seats, um, and, and, and the Greens won 295, I think, uh, council seats, while Labour lost 82, and, uh, and the Conservatives lost 1334. So, I think we, we did a pretty good job to show the country that we can win again our brand is not busted, and we are there. I mean, we did offer change, as you know, um, in the beginning to, uh, to join us, but uh, uh, we were rebuffed at that time. Uh, and uh, so and then Amelia talks about austerity. I mean, you know, we did so many things in government. You, when you're in a coalition, you have to give and take. You can't just say, oh, here it is. This is what we're going to do. And if you don't do it, we're not going to, you know, you're going to th throw up our toys out of the pram. So, so what I'm essentially, I'm, so what I'm essentially trying to do is then talk about Laura, who said, bringing the country together. It's very convenient, bringing the country together. You need to do what is good for the country and remain as good for the country. It is not just bringing, because I have northern seats that are Brexit, Brexit seats and southern seats that are remain. I'm trying to bring the country together. Well, um, I suppose with the, I suppose with the Lib Dems, they do they do have a different uh, they kind of have a different base. They have a different coalition, um, so it's it's obviously much more Remainy. They don't They're totally Remain. Yeah, you don't. You I don't mean, have this is our, our this is how we went out, you know, and we said, "Hang on," and our manifesto says, "Stop Brexit," finished. So. Then, you, the, do you, sorry, do you think, I just want to ask, do you think it took Brexit, that Brexit has, has kind of got the Lib Dems out of the post-coalition sin bin quicker than, than would have otherwise happened? How much do you credit this sort of uh, revival with, with this issue? Well, um, I think that uh, we're passionate, but we need to remain. We're passionate because we're going to lose jobs to, to the continent. We're passionate because we're going to lose a lot of money, like 39 billion, which is worth 2,500 pounds per family of four. Why don't we give 39 billion to each family of four, uh, you know, 2,500 pounds? And let's have a referendum on that to start with. Finally, like I asked uh, the others, you know, if you're elected, what would be your, um, your personal kind of priority? I understand the party's position here, but what would you like to, to sort of get cracking on first day in Brussels? Well, the first thing to do is to help Brussels to help us. The second thing to do is to make sure that we um, <clears throat> not only have a, a second people's vote, but I want to make that point on democracy that you mentioned, that we fought a bad campaign uh, 
which we might have. And we lost. Well, the Leave campaign. By the way, in a democracy, you need a strong rule of law. Mm. And the Leave campaign was convicted of overspending by 10%, but only won by 2%. Why isn't anything made of this? It, by, by, by the press, by everyone, why isn't anything made that this is why we need a second referendum or a second people's vote? Thank you. Um, can I come back on that austerity point that was directed mm, at me? You can, because it was aimed at you. So, I just think you said about that you're passionate against, the, one of the reasons you're passionate about staying in the European Union is about the jobs that will be lost. And then as a result of not having a backbone while in government and standing against austerity, there were jobs <clears throat> lost across this country. Basic services have not been delivered from rape crisis centres to domestic abuse services mm. to, um, to making sure that we've got youth centres that has been directly linked to a rise of, of gun crime and knife crime here in London. And I think fundamentally the very fabric of our communities got torn apart and that we can't just say... That that was because you've got to compromise in part in government because that shouldn't have been something you compromise on. That is the fundamental way that we should deliver uh, for people in this country. Well, can I just reply to this? Um, we left government in 2015. Okay, not recently, not when knife crime is, is at its peak. We Paved the way. No, excuse me. We left government in 2015. We put in a lot of green policies, like the Green Bank. Uh, which was sold by the Tories after, after uh, we left. But the point here is this, that can you tell me the number of jobs that were lost? Give me a number. I can tell you that in my community in Newport in South Wales, that because we're dependent on, um, we're dependent on government services, we've got a passport office, we've got a stats office, that when you suddenly... So you how many are, jobs are lost? I mean, it, it, it's, no. it, it does, do you, does it matter how many? Not off the top of my no, head. No, but it's important. The, the when you make an accusation no, that I, you say so. But, but I have one number. Mm. I have one number. Okay. Which is that between 2010 and 2015, mm. the Liberal Democrats in coalition with the Conservatives supported £20 billion of cuts to services. Now, we can all pretend that the Liberal Democrats are only an anti-Brexit party. There is no point now pretending that Brexit is nothing to do with the Liberal Democrats because the Excuse politics me. of austerity like led to, to that, that vote. I'd like, I just want uh, to, the, to, the to reply to The politics of this. austerity led to that Alistair vote. Alistair Darling wrote a note in a, in a drawer and said there is no money left. That wasn't Alistair Darling. It wasn't Alistair Darling. Darling. <laughs> it was Ed... Liam Byrne, maybe? No, Liam Byrne. Liam Byrne. Was it? it wasn't, yeah. so, <laughs> I'm sorry I got the name wrong, but it was a Labour okay. a minister who did that. And because there was no money left and we were in a crisis <laughs> that we had to have austerity. Well, I think, I th I think the points have been made. It's, it, it, you know, we, we can't relitigate uh, austerity. Um, I'd like to bring the podcast studio together <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't no, get I to answer my what I do question. General questions. Um, yes, you do. Can you could, could we could we do that quickly? Like, what would be Very your top quickly. priority? Well, obviously, I agree with everything about the Green New Deal. Yeah. But but if I was asked what I particularly would do as an MEP, because we all know that MEPs have very specialist roles as well. I mean, I did spend many years of my life working with children in in institutional care, or often called orphanages in Bulgaria and Romania, and in human rights and children's rights more generally. And I was a social policy advisor to the European Commission in Bulgaria. And what horrified me about the approach to accession, which was what I was working on, was that we started everything the wrong way round. So we started with 
single market, uh, widget compatibility, banking reform. And then at 10 minutes to midnight before countries were going to join, we looked at the fundamentals of rule of law, democracy, human rights and civil rights. So I would probably want to go and work with my colleague, Claude Moraes, in in that committee. And I really would like to support the socialist group, which has made a commitment to a European child guarantee, which is about access to healthcare, childcare and education. Because if you get those fundamentals right, you don't end up where we now are. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I'd like to move on to the things that we maybe have in common. <laughs> um, a lot of the coverage of this of this campaign um, has talked about um, sort of anger on the doorstep. And obviously yeah. anger is kind of um, Farage's uh, rocket Friend. fuel. Um, and, you know, it's become quite normal now for to, to hear, you know, candidates, MPs, MEPs, um, talking about, you know, abuse, death threats, so on. So how is the tenor... Of this campaign, I, I mean, I suppose I'm going to have to, inv- you know, rather than obviously ask everybody the same question, invite you to sort of mm-hmm. pop in. Um, what's the tenor of the campaign been like? Is it uh, is it unusual? You've 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 run one before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is is it troubling? I suppose just compared to, to say 2014. Because of my public profile, then actually I have um, uh, I, I get a, a lot of tension on social media and those kind of areas, and I feel that that has been growing over the years. Um, but then, I, and I, I think that lots of the language that's being used directed at politicians. I mean, the politicians have, have always had negative connota- connotations about them. Have been uh, people feel like they've failed them so many occasions, and we have hit a point where people do truly feel like they've been failed time and time again. Whether that is from austerity, whether that is from things like Brexit, whether that is that there were the promises that were made that that weren't delivered on. Uh, but I have, I think that. I personally haven't seen a change in that uh, specifically on this referendum compared to things like the local council elections where some of our ca- our signs and things were targeted with um, certain words um, that were, were linked to Brexit. I, I think things like traitor were written on some signs. Um, but I, So I yeah. think that there was possibly a stronger uh, influence in those elections than they have been in these European elections. Well, what's your experience with Labour? Because, I mean, literally, I mean, mm. for, the, for, for the sort of Brexit Party followers, it seems like everyone's a traitor. You know, Theresa May's a traitor. Mm. And literally, literally everyone. But, but there were certain Labour MPs being singled out. I think Yvette Cooper was. And it just it seemed like there was this sort of uh, very aggressive tone What's been your experience of that? Well, look, I personally have been really lucky in as much as I've been going around uh, many, many constituencies in in London. Generally, I think, um, I mean, there's, there's a bit of board of Brexit. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think about some of my colleagues who are campaigning in other parts of the country and activists in the Northwest, not just from Labour, but from other parties who are literally confronting Tommy Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I don't imagine that's a very pleasant experience. I completely agree with everything that was said about the rise in hate crime, particularly against the BME community. Mm-hmm. There has been a coarsening of public discourse, which which we have to find a way of stopping. I, I agree with Amelia about social media. I mean, Diane Abbott says, and nobody has better experience of this, unfortunately, than Diane. Mm-hmm. In the olden days, if someone wanted to be horrible to me, they had to find a pen, find a piece of paper, find an envelope, find a stamp. Now they just have to find a phone. And so it's really far too easy for people to be abusive online and say the kind of things they actually wouldn't say in person. I mean, I think, you know, obviously we've got all a little bit hot under the collar here, but this kind of discussion, which generally has been pretty civilised, is the kind of discussion we have to have. Having people who let you finish the sentence 
I mean, I, I listen to this podcast, I listen to lots of podcasts where people are invited into studios for discussion because I'm tired of John Humphreys not letting people finish mm -hmm. their sentence on the Today programme. I, I think as a, I mean, I no longer can claim woman, uh, well, I can claim woman, but not young. Um, uh, but I think young women in particular have a difficult time in politics. I think people from the BAME community have a difficult mm -hmm. time in politics. It's obvious when you see panel discussions the way that some people will be singled out. I think working class people have a difficult time getting their voices heard in politics. I, I think the media, I'm afraid, has a large you know, must take its share of the responsibility mm. for this. It's just um, not this media. The, other, the, the sound, media. <laughs> the sound bite media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Dennis, I'd like to ask you about how you go. I mean, how how all the the parties in this room um, run against Farage and the Brexit Party, which is basically a kind of vibe-based party rather than a policy-based one. And it's basic. It's it's sort of it's all based on betrayal and humiliation and rage. And so you can't pick apart the manifesto because there's, there's nothing to pick apart. Um, and it is proving effective whether, you know, the polls at the moment is actually only around the same level as UKIP last time. There are other polls where it shows it spiking into the, the low 30s. Um, what, how do you lay a hand on that? How do you, how do you sort of deal with, with the Brexit party? Well, <clears throat> the first thing is that... Um, uh, he should actually be standing for Westminster and trying to convince people mm. in Westminster if he wants uh, Britain to leave uh, the European Union. Uh, I don't know why he standing for the European Union. Is it the money he gets or is it the, uh, the, sl the enjoyment he gets by slandering people? It's so unbecoming. Mm. Uh, mm. And, and, and then he shows off that I said this and that and the other. So I think that he stood for Westminster seven times since 1994 and lost seven times. This might be why he's not standing for Westminster. No, so, so <laughs> I, I, think, I think this needs to be put out, that mm. it's all right. And in, in the middle of a, uh, of, a, of a parliament, you know, uh, the ruling parties or whichever parties there are, even the opposition, are at a low ebb so he can find... Uh, 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 supporters who are disenchanted to vote for him. But he is not trying to help the EU. He's just trying to um, go there. I don't know for what. And I'm not sure if he attends all the uh, sittings anyway. And I, you can see, I think, what's going to happen with the, the, the media framing of this is that even if, as it, as it seems likely, that the combined votes of the Remain parties, mm. even setting aside... Remainers who have voted for Labour, but unambivalently remain parties. The combined votes will be equal to more than the votes for the Brexit Party. Correct. And yet, because of the the vote system, because there are you know, that's just one party and there are multiple ones here, um, that they're likely to get more seats and therefore be framed as he has won the election. Now that's not how these elections work. There is not a one winner, but that's the sort of story. Is there anything that you can do about that? You know, is there anything that you can sort of plan for to avoid that sort of narrative of like Brexit party wins, plus, therefore there is more momentum to deliver Brexit? Sorry, I keep misusing the name of your organisation. <laughs> you know, because I think that that's that's what I worry about. Because you know, you can you can say, okay, here's the here's the millions of votes, and then people go, ah, but the seats. Well, I think if I may, I'm sure. I think it's 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 maybe time. Um, 
that I come in on this. Um, this we're not electing a government. Mm. We're electing a parliament, which actually has very considerable influence. It's a complete lie uh, what um, the Brexit party says and what Nigel Farage says, that this parliament has no power because only the commission has the possibility of initiating legislation. Yes, but the commission will not initiate legislation that it knows that it can't get through parliament. And what is more, parliament can actually amend that legislation through all sorts of, directly through voting in in the European Parliament and then through this uh, cons- consultation procedure, which I won't bother you with, but where they basically talk to mm. each other and they actually talk to each other in a non-confrontational way, the Commission, the Parliament and the Council, which represents the, the member states. Um, so, in fact, this Parliament does have a lot of... It has, it has real influence, it has real democratic legitimacy right across Europe, but we're not electing a government, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no question that the pro-European parties within Europe will have a very large majority, and I'm talking all the way from the Greens mm-hmm. through the Socialists and Democrats, e- EPP, and President Macron's new insurgent party. Um, those parties will have a very large, a very large majority, um, and I think it's important to contribute to that. And Nigel Farage and his people will be off uh, in a corner. Uh, I've actually been in a situation in the European Parliament where I was presenting um, our view, as uh, because ministers do that when they have when their countries have the presidency. And Nigel Farage came up and said something outrageous in his one and a half minutes that he has. He doesn't have to work an awful lot when he's there for the, for the money he gets. And then, you know, without waiting for any answer, just went off and got himself, got himself a, pint of, a pint of Guinness. <laughs> um, but so, you know, so that, uh, that's the first point. The second point is so it's not for a government, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the sensible parties, the pro-European parties, will have a massive majority in that European parliament. Secondly, it is a proportional system. And it actually won't make a difference in the large constituencies. There's a few small constituencies, yeah. northeast Wales um, and uh, North Cumberland, Wales and Yorkshire, uh, where it will make a difference. But in the others, it won't. And um, it's also not the case, by the way, if you look, for instance, at what happened in London in 2014, it's not actually the case that it's always the biggest parties that get the most MEPs per vote, or if you like the other way around, need the fewest votes per MEP, because actually then the party that managed to elect MEPs with the smallest number of votes was the party that got the least votes, which was the Greens. I'm slightly scared to ask this question about cooperation but because obviously a lot of Romanians when the, when the European elections were kind of looming there was there were there was a lot of hope that there would be that, 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 um, that the Greens and Lib Dems and change would kind of come to some kind of agreement um, and you know stand down in certain constituencies and so on um, I gather there were some kind of discussions nothing sort of nothing came of that um, what how serious was that as a possibility then, that there was actually going to be a kind of Romani coalition 
which a lot of people did want, probably because it meant they didn't have to think about, you know, how the Dehont system works. <laughs> well, first of all, think... the simulations on London showed that it wouldn't make, certainly in London, it would make no difference. But I think more importantly, and the point that Laura made, where there's a fundamental difference between us. I mean, I will not, you know, <laughs> con- <laughs> I'm trying to find the right word. I will be at least as anti-populist as you. Mm. But there is one thing that you're not taking into account, which I think is fundamental. If Brexit happens, that will be a massive victory for the populists in Britain. Farage will have won and he will go on to win again. And that's what you're abstracting from. And that's why the Labour Party's position is so dangerous for those of us who are anti-populist. Okay, that that's not that doesn't quite address. I mean, it's a fair point, but it doesn't really address this sort of question of. And I think I think uh, Dinesh, I think you brought it up. If you want to go first, Amelia, but you you did say there were there were possible conversations, but they didn't they didn't happen. But before you go, I'll, I'll just make one small point. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, and that was that um, um, in the local elections, I think we worked together in some seats. Correct. So, I mean, more, most famously in Richmond, and it was Greens who who did try and talk about how we do it in a general election because we fundamentally need to break a first-past-the-post system. Quite. But obviously in this situation, it's a proportional system. No, so we did, in the local elections, work with you in some seats around the country. So it wasn't that we didn't work, mm-hmm. but you can, you can talk about... I mean, I can talk also about why it didn't... Uh, 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 it didn't work in the Euro election. Yeah, I do, I'm just, we're just well, I'm interested because a lot of people... You you know. Well, I, I first want to just highlight that we weren't invited to any talks, um, although it's been said in, in the press. Um, and we have championed how we work together, as I said, in situations where there is a first-past-the-post system. Um, but here we have a proportional system. But actually, in the European uh, elections, there's a date that you need to put in your applications for working together. And the date was passed by the time That's that this the came point. on the, That's the, point. the agenda. It and was I just think... passed. It was just deadline. It was legally impossible. It was legally impossible. Absolutely. I think we all agree on yeah. that. Okay. I want to uh, talk a little bit about the, the future. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> no, because that is that again, that is a part of these sort of, um, you know, what, one of the things that really struck me coming out of the manifestos was that there was a, a kind of a real sense to kind of talk about European values, mm. progressive values and European values being being intertwined. And that there was a kind of positive Europhilia. I can't say that I scrutinized them in the same way in 2014, in those, <laughs> those happy, complacent days. Um, but, you know, the, 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 there seems to be a very sort of strong message of kind of, of Europhilia. But there's also obviously a sense of uh, that it's not perfect. Remain mm. and reform has obviously become a big thing. And I'd just like to ask all of you as, as sort of as quickly as, as possible, um, the phrase remain and reform, what would be your priority to reform if there was this one area of the European Union? I mean, obviously, Britain, it's not going to be that popular. Um, but if you had the power to, to, to just change this, what, what would the thing be? Global corporations and international financial tax and, and through that ending austerity. I mean, we have to end the European age of austerity because it's not just causing populism and I would argue Brexit in the UK. It's doing it across the country. You know, I mean, someone to my right, again, who knows as much as I do about this. You know, my husband's in Italy with Salvini. You've got Orban in Hungary. Uh, Le Pen is sitting there in the European Parliament herself from France. I mean, I believe the only way to really tackle all of that is to support a 
increasing living standards for people across the continent. And one of the ways we're going to do that is by rebalancing power and wealth, and that is by making the big corporations pay their way. Amelia? So I think that the we've as Greens, we've always said remain and reform. And in another Europe is possible, we said um, you've got to be in Europe to change Europe. Yeah. But Europe is constantly reforming. It's always building. And many of the policies that you read in our manifestos are about fundamental changes we can to make a stronger European Union on policies that work for everybody. Um, but I think one of the things for me, um, we've got policies on uh, tackling lobbying, we've got policies on tackling tax evasion, we've got policies on all of these areas which will change how the European Union works. But I think that what needs to be embedded is better democracy into things like the Commission and other areas. Mm. Um, so I think there are things that we can do from a policy level that will reform, um, but I do think there are some uh, a few fundamental levels that we need to be making sure that we, there's that restructuring that means that democracy is at the heart of all of the actions of the European Union. Dish, what would you... Um, I, I think there are small things and big things, and, and, and both of you got mm. those in, in a way. But uh, I'd very much like a binding international treaty on plastics. I'd mm. very much like a tougher and more tough uh, greenhouse gas emission uh, reductions. But those two said, I'd also like um, uh, Brussels to get a Security Council seat, mm. for example. Uh, I, would, I would like um, an energy network because Northern Europe has wind energy, Southern Europe has solar energy. And if we had one grid, which we're trying to do, mm. we would be less dependent or not dependent at all on Russian gas. Mm. You know, Germany has 33% of Putin's gas coming in. I mean, there is, you know, uh, a, a, a perhaps a problem there. What is the point of Strasbourg? Yes. Why should there be two yes. parliaments? Yeah. Hey, hey. These are all small things <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that need to be done. I mean, I, I think the biggest one's peace. Yeah. I mean, we've had 75 years of peace, which is the longest period of time over a thousand years that Western Europe's been at peace. Look at the economic dividends that Switzerland and Sweden have got because there'd be no war on their land. They're but, the richest people. But no I, war on their land. No we have waged wars elsewhere. I'm just talking about what happens to the whole of Europe mm. if there is no war. Mm. Um, yeah, what was, it struck me reading, reading your manifesto, of course, that the two biggest words in there are remain and change, um, which is a sort of an interesting combination. Um, what does remain and reform mean to you? And you know, you know, the, you know the, the EU inside out. What's, what's the biggest problem that needs fixing? Well, first of all, you know, I mean, there's a, a lot of what has been said is stuff I agree with. Mm. I mean, I certainly agree on needing to fight tax of, of avoidance mm. and tax evasion. And as, as a former finance minister, mm. I think I know how to do that. <laughs> the second point is on, on climate change. We actually, in 2008, when the first ETS, emissions trading system, was brought up, I, as representing Poland, proposed that we should have a minimum price per tonne of emitted CO2 of $40. The commission laughed us out of court and said, we don't understand markets. The result was mm -hmm. the crisis came along and the price of a tonne of 
CO2 fell to three, sorry, I said dollars, euros, but it was pretty close then. Uh, it fell to three and a half euros, all right? Um, I think if, if, if our proposal had been adopted then, uh, we'd be way ahead of where we are yeah. today in terms of, of, of reduction in emissions. Um, but the final thing which I would really stress while you know, seeing all these tragic photographs of, of plastics in, in animals and mm. on beaches. And I, I couldn't agree m- more with um, with what you've just said. Coming back to austerity, you know, the one thing that would, and it seems paradoxical for us because Britain isn't in the euro, but yes. nevertheless, most of the countries yeah. are. And it's the failure of the European Union, of the Eurozone, to have a proper system for running anti-austerity fiscal policies, which is at the heart of it. And as British MEPs, we actually have a vote on Mm. that as well. It's not just... It's not just Mm. the Eurozone countries that would. That is the most important thing. Mm. Past austerity may have been extremely painful. What we really have to do is to avoid future austerity. Yes, I agree with that. I would actually want to add as well, I think the most disappointing thing from the European Union over these last five years since the last election has been, um, although the the issue was predated that, has been their attitude to refugees. And um, I think that we really do need to be making sure that we reform how we support refugees. We've done work making sure that there's money available so that refugees can be uh, supported into communities. But we need to make sure we have a European ocean rescue and making sure that we have humanity at the the heart of of what we do to protect people who are fleeing war, who who are trying to make sure that they can live their lives. And I think that, for me, the European Union has failed on that. And when I think about Remain and Reform I, and these vital policies, I see that as such a, yeah. a fundamental failure I can't agree with. And I really hope we can get those mm. policies on international sea rescue to re- make sure that we don't have the, these horrendous images of, of people washed mm. up on beaches and um, images of just people hoping for a better life um, being lost at sea. Well, it's... it's uh... It's quite um, refreshing to to end with with murmurs of agreement, and I guess that there is there is actually a surprising amount of um, of, of overlap with some of the ideas um, in in the manifestos and, and aired today. Um, so I don't know, listeners, has that helped you make up your minds? Um, <laughs> well, but, yes, don't vote for exit party. I think we're all clear on that. Yeah, if you're, if you're thinking of voting, if you're thinking of voting for the Brexit party, this is the wrong podcast. Um, but thank you to to everyone for coming in. That's Jan Rostowski from uh, Change UK, Laura Parker from Labour, Amelia Womack from the Greens and Dinesh Tamija from the Lib Dems. Thank you so much for your time and best of wishes uh, for the vote. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks as well to Tom Bullen, Alex Rees and Mysterious Spokesman X of AEDEL Studios for producing the show. The producer of Romaniacs is Andrew Harrison and the show is a Podmasters production. We'll see you next week for the regular podcast and exciting developments. Thanks and goodbye.